0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. It's time for the sweetest 16 of March. Hope you guys didn't have Kansas or Purdue or Arizona going too far in your bracket. All of your odds, props, promos, and parlays for college basketball are available on BetOnline Sportsbook. You can use our promo code Believe50. That's B-L-E-A-V five zero to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the. Description to this episode Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fan-tabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast and podcasts are not live. You can listen to them however and whenever you want. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is March 21st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you might be listening. We have got a fantabulous show coming at you today because finally... After two weeks, lots of March Madness, NFL talk, great guests like Morgan from Australia, Razor Rosenthal, all our friends of the show, today I had an opening in the schedule and today I wanted to travel back into our galaxy far, far away known as Major League Baseball and travel into the Star Wars universe that baseball occupies and talk about the World Baseball Classic because I am typically not in on international competitions such as the World Baseball Classic. We've done multiple podcasts about how during the last Olympics, I did not watch a single second of the Olympics because I was someone who was on the edge of watch or not watch the Olympics. and. Because of all of the corruption in getting the Olympics into China, and complete, and the the IOC president giving a speech that was basically Chinese propaganda at the opening ceremony, and how the Olympics became a not just a Chinese propaganda arm for the world, but also suppressed the uh, the slaver the enslavement of Uyghur Muslims in China, and really went out of their way to try and avoid that. I just checked out of the Olympics altogether last year when they were in China. And then during the World Cup this last year, or AKA the Slave Cup, with the thousands of migrant worker deaths in Qatar and the Qatari government making it illegal to be gay and persecuting gay and lesbian and transgender people within Qatar. Because of everything in terms of the human rights violations of Qatar, I sat out the World Cup. I didn't want to support Fox by watching it on television, and I didn't want to support the Qatari government in their attempts to normalize human rights violations. So, I've been out on international competition for a good while and the World Baseball Classic fortunately doesn't have major human rights atrocities except for the ones we're going to bring up today on the show, but that's another conversation. It's not human rights violations surrounding the event itself. It's more so the competing countries and their human rights violations. And I'm a bit of a baseball nerd. Like I talk about all the time, I treat baseball with the same veracity that some people treat Star Wars, which is nerding out about it and something that really captivated me as a kid and has only produced diminishing returns since. I still get nerdy about baseball. I still enjoy it because it's the sport of my childhood and the same way people really enjoyed Star Wars of a certain generation. I really enjoy Major League Baseball, so... Let's talk about the World Baseball Classic, and since we're going to talk about the World Baseball Classic, we have to get in the right mood, the right mindset, so we're going to travel to a galaxy far, far away, which means we're going to play our Star Wars Major League Baseball introduction to episode five because right now for those who are paying attention over the past few months baseball is basically just star wars i watched the star wars movies all for the first time in the last 12 months and i realized oh hey baseball is basically just star wars you've got the, the dodger empire tyranny across the national league and the small resistance in san diego under resourced undermanned trying to fight against the empire they literally have a captain named juan Soto. Which, by the way, if Harrison Ford had been born in the Dominican Republic, probably would have been Juan Soto instead of Han Solo. It's perfect wordplay. You have a hater and a vader. I mean, come on. We just, it's perfect jokes here. So let's travel to a galaxy far, far away known as baseball. Episode 5 the Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the force. After their incredible victory, The Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrizian, also known as El Niño. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Niño, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hater, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. All right we have ventured into the baseball galaxy for what is a major league baseball adjacent story the world baseball classic i have gotten super super invested in the world baseball classic because for those who haven't been following this It's the first time in six years that they've held the World Baseball Classic. It was supposed to be held in 2020, and that did not happen because of the global pandemic, or 2020 or 2021, one of the two. But they moved it to 2023, and this is the first World Baseball Classic that's been held in six years. The best players in the sport are actively playing in the World Baseball Classic, and so what this creates is essentially all-star teams on every roster And the best teams in the sport in Major League Baseball have multiple All-Stars at multiple positions because Major League Baseball is not a sport like the NBA where, for example, yeah, I only know this data because we used it for our San Antonio Spurs book. In 1997, the NBA had 7% of its league be born outside of the United States or hold a United States or hold a citizenship in another country. Uh, Back in the 1980s, that number was about 1%. So the NBA is experiencing its first two or three generations when it comes to international players. Major League Baseball is now into its 7th, 8th, and ninth generations in terms of international players in the sport. We can go back to the earliest days of Cuban players defecting uh, at at the beginning of the Castro regime, and we'll talk more about that later. We can talk about Roberto Clemente coming from Puerto Rico, and we could talk about Venezuelan players and and players like Tony Perez coming over and becoming Hall of Famers. Like Major League Baseball has multiple Hall of Famers from multiple generations who come from other countries. And at this point, Major League Baseball is a sport in which you have five, six, seven different countries that have legitimate Major League talent on all of their rosters. And so it creates a tournament... That has genuine interest in all of the teams that have made it deep into the tournament. Obviously, Great Britain only has so many people. And like Trace Thompson somehow got Great Britain uh, allowed to play for Great Britain because of citizenship and like all that stuff like that. So, you know, obviously there are teams that only have a handful as compared to, say, a basketball World Cup in which you have to have the best players go to that tournament in order to make it a viable competition. Major League Baseball has like six, seven, eight different teams that field MLB All-Star rosters across the board. Uh, For example, Venezuela, who lost to the United States in the semifinal, Venezuela had Anthony Santander as their three-hitter. They had Salvador Perez, who's going to be maybe a Hall of Famer in Major League Baseball, pretty close, and by the way, their, their number two hitter, or their leadoff hitter is Luis Arraez, who was the number one, um, he had the best batting average in baseball last year, he won the batting title last year, and oh, by the way, their best player is Jose Altuve, so you have right there, I know Anthony Santander hasn't made an all-star team, but you have a top of the order that is a legitimate Major League Baseball all-star team. You have a Hall of Famer in Jose Altuve. You have a World Series MVP in Salvador Perez. You have Luis Arraez, who was the batting champion last year. You have Anthony Santander, and that team got bounced in the quarterfinal round. Like that team was legitimate, has legitimate Major League Baseball all-stars up and down the roster, and even if those aren't all-stars, they still have Major League players up and down the roster. Venezuela is also the country of Felix Hernandez, and obviously Felix Hernandez can't play anymore, but Felix Hernandez was a Hall of Famer coming from Venezuela. So you're talking about a country that has multiple generations of Major League Baseball stars, and that team didn't even make it out of the quarterfinal round of the tournament. And so there are five big storylines that I want to talk about here today. And there's one storyline that is being talked about that I don't want to talk about. And I also feel is important to be addressed. And I'm going to talk about that one first, just very briefly to kind of knock it off the top. So then we can move into the other stuff around this tournament. I mentioned Venezuela already. They were an interesting storyline. They're now gone from the tournament. And part of the intrigue with Venezuela is that Jose Altuve, in their elimination game, got hit by a pitch by Daniel Bard, broke his wrist, and is now out for 8-10 to weeks with the Houston Astros. And Jose Altuve breaking his wrist in the World Baseball Classic is... Going to fuel the conversation around should players play in this tournament or not based on what their major league teams feel, there are certain MLB teams, and not naming names but New York Yankees, but there are certain MLB teams that are not allowing or permitting their players to play in the World Baseball Classic. And then other teams like the St. Louis Cardinals who have 19 players in the World Baseball Classic across their organization, including for the American team their two best players their three hitter Paul Goldschmidt and their cleanup hitter number four spot Nolan Arenado both St. Louis Cardinals both will win 85 games this year both will lose in the first round of the playoffs because that's just what the Cardinals have been for eight years now the Royal Cardinals as our Star Wars narrative calls them the Royal Cardinals basically exist to win 85 games and lose in the first round of the playoffs so The Cardinals have sent 19 players to the World Baseball Classic. The Yankees basically barred anyone from going to the World Baseball Classic. And what's interesting about anyone meaningful from going to the World Baseball Classic, but basically, Jose Altuve breaks his wrist, and it is an indictment on the tournament that the Astros are now going to lose their best player for two months. When last year, Aaron Judge broke, or two years ago, Aaron Judge broke his wrist during spring training because he took a pitch off of his wrist and he was out for eight weeks. So that's an injury that could have happened in spring training. The one that's fueling the conversation is around Edwin Diaz, because Edwin Diaz tore his patellar tendon celebrating a Dominican Republic Republic victory in their World Baseball Classic game. And the Dominican Republic was one of the favorites in the entire tournament, because the Dominican Republic has all-stars up and down the roster. For a country of 11 million people, they they are the baseball country and were, I believe, behind the United States in terms of favorites to win the entire tournament. Japan might have been there too, but the Edwin Diaz injury is the one that's fueled a conversation based a lot in people who are not watching the World Baseball Classic controlling conversation around the World Baseball Classic. Because... This, this has now become a conversation of should players play or shouldn't they play? And do people care or do they not care? And do players care and do they not care? And the conversation is being driven by people who don't actually want to watch the World Baseball Classic, which in America is overwhelmingly white baseball fans who are not watching the World Baseball Classic. White baseball fan is a little bit oxymoronic in this case, but specifically white baseball fans who are not watching the World Baseball Classic are driving the conversations around the tournament itself. And this is a problem that baseball has had for years, is that people who are not watching the sport drive the conversation around the sport. And for that to then seep into the World Baseball Classic again is disappointing because what does baseball have to do to not have there be a problem with baseball? And the only thing that I can point to is people watching the sport more as like their number one sport because what baseball has lost in terms of national relevance, they have gained in terms of a niche sport audience. Baseball has never been more popular for the people who really, really love baseball. Baseball as a number one sport has the ferocity and flavor as people who who consistently watch hockey or people who consistently follow the UFC, where it is a niche sport and a regional sport and yet a sport where the people who do watch it really, really enjoy the sport because baseball is in an interesting place where the people who do care about baseball really, really care about baseball. And it's really, really fun because there's so many interesting storylines, like we parodied into a Star Wars theme. There's so many interesting stakes and storylines in baseball right now, and the product is theoretically about to be more entertaining during the regular season, which once you get to the playoffs, I think most baseball fans are okay with the four and a half, four hour games, and... All of the stakes and chaos that comes with playoff baseball makes it fantastic. Jordan Alvarez hitting a walk-off homer against Seattle last year was like the fourth most interesting thing to happen in the entire postseason. And that was like a a double-decker, no-doubter, three-run homer after Seattle just brought a reliever into the game. It was like the fourth most interesting thing to happen in the entire postseason. Baseball is incredibly popular and interesting for those who follow the sport, and what's happening with the World Baseball Classic is people who are actually watching, people who are actually attending these games, which have been sellouts across the world. It was a sellout in the uh, Asian regional bracket. I believe it was in Japan. It was a sellout in Arizona when it was U.S. and Great Britain, and when it was U.S. and Mexico and U.S. versus Colombia. And it's been a sellout every single game in Miami for the quarterfinals and semifinals with the United States. And uh, on the flip side of the bracket, I believe uh, it was Mexico who played in uh, in Miami for their game. And they, I believe they had Puerto Rico play the Dominican Republic in Miami. And you just had this incredibly fun game. Uh, Nicaragua became a story of the tournament because Nicaragua had all sorts of people fly into the country for the games and then leave. And there was a giant Nicaraguan community in Miami that was uh, enjoying that game. And so you had this incredible atmosphere that was built around the World Baseball Classic. And people who are watching the World Baseball Classic are really enjoying the World Baseball Classic because not only do you have really intriguing games with all-star rosters, you have players who like legitimately care and are legitimately talking shit during this tournament. Like I've been stunned by some of the quotes that have come out of the World Baseball Classic. There were players for the Dominican Republic who who were talking about, if you could, if you could rather win the World Baseball Classic or win a World Series, five players on the Dominican, they asked six players, five said win the World Baseball Classic. One of them said it's a push between World Series and World Baseball Classic because There is no representation for the Dominican Republic in Major League Baseball, and one of the storylines we're going to talk about later with Mexico follows this same sentiment with Randy Rosarena, the the former star of the Rays championship run who only made $270,000 in the entire year while hitting 11 home runs in the playoffs for Tampa during the pandemic playoffs, and so you have this incredibly interesting tournament with player with all-star rosters and players who are legitimately talking shit and legitimately interested in competing in this tournament. It's been incredibly exciting. And the thing that I started off talking about before getting sidetracked down the road of, People who watch baseball really love baseball and people who don't watch baseball drive a lot of the narratives around baseball. It's happening again with the World Baseball Classic in America where white baseball fans who are not watching the World Baseball Classic are the ones driving the conversation around the World Baseball Classic. And People who are watching the World Baseball Classic, like myself, are finding it incredibly interesting and incredibly fun to watch to where I'm actively seeking out watching USA versus Cuba over March Madness on Sunday. And on Monday, which is today, I'm getting ready after I record this podcast to go watch Mexico versus Japan, play in the semifinal game to set up a championship today on Tuesday that I'm going to be really, really excited to watch between the USA and whoever wins between Japan and Mexico. And so I'm really interested in this and people who have watched the sport have been really interested as well. And we're right now just talking about the white fan bases, White base, white American baseball fans who are not watching are driving conversations as compared to white American baseball fans who are watching. And this doesn't even get into uh, Latin American baseball fans who are watching, um, whether it's Latin Americans living in America or Latin Americans living in another country. It is, uh, it is a really, really intriguing dichotomy here because you have a baseball uh, you have a baseball tournament that encompasses three major regions of the world you have uh, North America Latin America and uh, like East Asia and South uh, not South Asia East Asia with Japan and Korea and you have these regions of the world all occupied by this tournament and the conversation on the North American side is decidedly not about the baseball itself and it's been really interesting to watch that play out because this is the same thing that's happened for years in baseball. People not watching the sport, and particularly white people not watching the sport, have driven the conversation around baseball. And so it's so interesting to see not just this racial dichotomy, but this cultural dichotomy between baseball fans and... White baseball fans who are participating and those who have opted out of the World Baseball Classic and seeing the dichotomy and responses between the two, which doesn't even factor in. And again, I'm a white man in Northern California trying to talk about this stuff, so I don't have firsthand accounts to this. Is countries like Venezuela, countries like Nicaragua, countries like Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic and Mexico who have seen these giant turnouts for games, this giant interest. I, I If I did not mention Venezuela, I apologize for Venezuela because they showed out big time when their games were being played down in Miami. Uh, they said it was like 80% Venezuela fans for what was the game of the tournament when USA played Venezuela in the quarterfinals on saturday was like the game of the tournament down in miami it was nine to seven and trey turner hit a grand slam to give them the lead and It was just an amazing baseball game just amazingly fun and i wish i'd gotten to see more of it and that was the game that actually put me on to watching the last three games of this tournament because i really really wanted to watch the last three games of this tournament and so that's the that's the main point that I wanted to talk about there, is people not watching the sport driving the conversation around the sport. That's been a problem in baseball for years and years, and it's perpetuating with this racial and cultural dynamic when it comes to the World Baseball Classic. And this is normally the point where someone might say... I think we should focus on the incredible fun the players are having and all these fun storylines around the World Baseball Classic. And I'm going to talk about some of those storylines. I'm just going to put out on the front end, it doesn't even have to be talking about the storylines of the players around the tournament. Although we're going to do some of that, it can be talking about more important storylines than should players play or should they not play or should white people in America care about the World Baseball Classic cuz that's basically what the conversation has become. Should white people in America care about the World Baseball Classic? And there there are more interesting conversations to have beyond the hey, let's talk about Shohei Ohtani and You Darvish, although that those storylines are incredibly interesting and Shohei Ohtani is going to be one of the storylines we talk about later. But the first of the storylines that I wanted to touch on is what is happening with Cuba? And their journey to the United States. And their tournament game yesterday, which today's Monday, so on Sunday, in Miami against the United States. Now the United States won the game 13-2, and Trey Turner hit multiple home runs, and Paul Goldschmidt had a dinger, and uh, Mike Trout had an RBI double, and Nolan Arenado had a triple. It's just the USA just put a, a beat down on Cuba who was, in a way, a little bit lucky to have made it that far in the tournament because, for example, Puerto Rico had to play the Dominican Republic. Meanwhile, Cuba had to play Australia in their quarterfinal game. So, you know, it wasn't exactly apples to apples in terms of how Cuba got to the semifinal of the World Baseball Classic. But What's interesting around this game for Cuba is the storylines around the Cuban government and the geopolitics that relate to, and really my familiarity with Cuban geopolitics relates to watching baseball and listening to the Levitard show. And so baseball is this first exposure where I start to understand that for those who don't know, Cuba is a Marxist Lenin regime. It has been that since 1959. It's one of only four countries in the world that is still remaining under like Marxism, communist, uh, Marxism, Leninism, and um, communist control. And they have essentially a military dictatorship in Cuba. They do not have free and open elections. Um, most countries around the world bar trade with Cuba. And Cuba is having a crisis right now in which there is a revolt in the streets because the government is not providing quality, uh, you know, the government under communist Marxist-Leninism regimes is not providing people with enough food. There's been inflation in the country over the past decade or so and the the economy of Cuba is unstable, which is leading to more popularity among the culture, the, the political uprisings in Cuba which have been suppressed by the government through jailing people who protest against the the government, uh, in in some cases killing people who have protested against the government. And Cuba does not permit free speech and does not permit freedom of elections in their country. And so Cuba comes to Miami, which is uh, about 50 miles off the coast, and Cuba ends up having massive amounts of protests in and around the stadium in Miami because the Cuban government is incredibly unpopular among the 1.2 million Cubans in Miami, many of whom are directly related to or descendants of people who fled the communist regime and the communist takeover by Fidel Castro in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even into the aughts and 2010s. There is a, there is a usually a direct descendant from someone who has fled the Cuban government out of fear of persecution and out of the the free the not free country that it, that is in Cuba and the oppressive dictatorship that has been in place for over 60 years. And so what was interesting is that you saw giant amounts of protests against the Cuban baseball team because the Cuban baseball team is in essence a propaganda arm for the Ameri- is a propaganda arm for the Cuban government. And their, their run through the World Baseball Classic has been popular for the country. And what was interesting about this World Baseball Classic on a number of fronts is former players who had defected from the country. And for those who don't know, defecting from a country is when the team travels internationally and they stay in the country where they are, or flee to another country in order to obtain some sort of citizenship, or obtain some sort of visa, or a refugee status. America used to have a wet foot, dry foot policy, where if people from Cuba could land in America, then they would get, uh, they would basically be allowed to stay in America, and they would not be sent back to Cuba. It's one of the only regions of the world in which. Or it's one of the only countries in the world in which the United States permitted if you land on our shores or if you land in our country, you will be allowed to stay because of communi- because of the unpopularity of communism and the Cold War in the fifties in the sixties, seventies and eighties. And that's why there's a gigantic Cuban population in Miami, and also why there are hundreds of thousands of people who have died in the fifty plus miles from Cuba to uh, Miami via boat or via raft or however people tried to get from Cuba to America. There are hundreds of thousands of dead bodies in the the strait between Cuba and Miami and many millions more people who have moved either to Mexico or to the Dominican Republic or other places in which they could obtain some sort of refugee status. And so... When Cuba comes to Miami for the first time ever, there are massive amounts of protests around this game and this world baseball classic. And then after the game concludes and it's a thirteen to two win for the United States, we learned on Monday morning that the bullpen catcher for Cuba, whose name is Ivan Perito Gonzalez Prieto. Uh, sorry, Ivan Prieto Gonzalez, the bullpen catcher for Team Cuba stayed in Miami after the game and did not show up at the airport for the team's flight to Havana. And because of players defecting over the years, so, uh, such as the there's a great uh, documentary that was done by uh, 30 for 30 on ESPN about Levan uh, and uh, El Duque Hernandez, the two brothers who fled Cuba at different times and both ended up becoming major league pitchers. Livon for the Florida Marlins, El Duque famously for the New York Yankees. And these players who have defected from the country are now essentially, in many cases, they are citizens of no country or they will obtain some sort of status to remain in the United States, which there's no longer wet foot, dry foot policy in the the United States. So it's usually some sort of immigrant visa status instead of uh, American citizenship. But in this case, you have Cuban, uh, you have the, the bullpen catcher for Cuba being the one person to defect from the World Baseball Classic, and because many players have defected over the years, the Cuban government and the people who travel with the team have policies and procedures in place to attempt to prevent people from defecting. And so it was an incredibly brave thing for this player to defect from the Cuban team because he as a bullpen catcher has a better opportunity to defect and, and in many cases risk his life and risk jail time back in the country by not attending the game and trying to obtain some sort of immigrant visa status here in the United States, presumably a more free Country than the Cuban dictators, the Cuban military dictatorship, at least in the minds of Ivan Pri- Prieto Gonzalez, who is the most recent player to defect, and there is a long line of players who have defected from Cuba. To, to either Mexico or the United States or another country. And it's nothing new. It's about 50 years of people using the, the baseball team in order to try and defect and make their way to another country in which they can obtain some sort of status to stay as a refugee. And what's interesting about this case is it's the first player to do so at a World Baseball Classic. So, This leads into another topic that I want to talk about while we're on the topic of defection and geopolitics of Cuba, which is Randy Orozarena, who his story is that at 19 years old, he and his family defected from Cuba to Mexico. And while he was in Cuba, Randy Orozarena was making about $36 a month at most playing baseball. And Randy talked about how he was making more money than his mother on the $36 a month that was being provided as a stipend for him playing baseball in Cuba. And Randy Rosarena made it to Mexico, played, uh, tried out for Mexican Baseball League for a few years, ended up signing with the Cardinals for $1.2 million, got traded to the Tampa Bay Rays, and famously Randy Rosarena ended up being the hero of the playoffs for Tampa Bay, who had 11 home runs in the postseason. It was the second most in the history of the sport, and he was famously making $270,000 because of the shortened season shortening pay. Meanwhile, his adversary in the World Series, Mookie Betts, and my favorite image ever is Randy Rosarena and Mookie Betts on a poster together to advertise the World Series. Where Mookie had just signed a three hundred million dollar contract, and Randy Rosarena was making two hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year, playing for the Tampa Bay Rays, just because he was a rookie, and just because he was like a bench player making the league minimum, who happened to have an incredible breakout World Series or breakout postseason in twenty twenty, and Randy Rosarena was able to. Uh, basically plead, not plea, that's not the best way to phrase it. He petitioned the Mexican government to give him citizenship so that he could play for Mexico at the World Baseball Classic. And Randy Rosarena has been the best player on a Mexico team that has all Major League Baseball players. And similarly to what we were talking about with Uh, similarly to what we were talking about with Venezuela, where Venezuela got bounced in the quarterfinal and they had four all-stars, a batting champion, a league MVP, a world series MVP on their team. Team Mexico has all major league baseball players, including some major league baseball stars. Isaac Paredes for the Tampa Bay Rays is an incredible shortstop. Rowdy Tellez made the all-star team with the Brewers this last year. Um, they've got Austin Barnes, the catcher from the Dodgers. Alejandro Kirk was the uh, batting champion for most of the season until Luis Arraez ended up beating him. And then, of course, you have Jared Duran from the Red Sox. You have Alex Verdugo, a former top prospect. Uh, Luis Urias, the pitcher who closed out the World Series for the Dodgers in 2020 and is now their number two starter. Jose Urquidy, who had I believe he was the pitcher who threw the no-hitter in the World Series for the Houston Astros. He pitches for Team Mexico. You have Tyjon Walker pitching for Team Mexico, Jojo Ramirez. Like, this is a really, really deep Mexico team. And so, Randy Rosarena has been the best player on Team Mexico so far, and he is someone who defected from Cuba in order to play for Team Mexico. And he's someone who's been very vocal throughout the tournament of the atrocities of the Cuban government under the military dictatorship in which there are not rights for their people. There is not free speech and people are put in jail and sometimes killed for protesting against the government. And Randy Rosarena talked about uh, how atrocious the conditions have been when he was living in Cuba, how he was living in poverty. And even when he had made it to the top levels of baseball at 19, he still was not making enough to even provide some sort of a stable life for his family. And so the fa- the quote that ended up going viral a couple days ago is that he was hoping Cuba would beat the United States in the semifinal so that Mexico would be the team that eliminated them in the championship game and he wanted to stick it to the Cuban baseball team and the Cuban government that he is a he is standing against what they stand for and wants to work to free the people of Cuba. And he's doing it while wearing a Mexican jersey. And I think that's an incredibly awesome story and something that Randy Rosarena had been fighting his entire life to have the opportunity to do. When he flees uh, six years ago from Cuba and now at 25 years old is the star of the Mex- of, of Team Mexico. And he wants to use that platform to point towards the atrocities of the Cuban government. I think that's an awesome story that Randy Odo is bringing forward to this World Baseball Classic, and the geopolitics story around Cuba... And the United States playing them in Miami, and Randy Rosarena pointing to this. Yuli Gurriel, who is a, a of Cuban descent, he defected from the team. He's now going to play for the Miami Marlins this year, and that'll be. A re- he obviously isn't playing in the World Baseball Classic because uh, he is not. Uh, he is not. He is considered a traitor in the eyes of the Cuban government. What changed about this World Baseball Classic is that Cuba actually sent out to their professional players who had defected to gauge interest in them playing for Team Cuba. And four players ended up replying that they would play for Team Cuba despite the fact that they defected from the country and moved to America. Uh, Joan Moncada from the White Sox was playing in the game for uh, he was the leadoff hitter for Team Cuba last week. And Cuba played most of their uh, their their first games in Japan. So this was the first time they had gone to America to play during the World Baseball Classic. So you had Cuba with Joan Moncada, Luis Robert, who's a star player for uh, the White Sox as well, Rowenas Elias, who used to be the closer for the Seattle Mariners, and Johannes Cespedes, who no longer plays Major League Baseball, but you know former All-Star Uh, I think he hit 40 home runs in a season one year. Ioannis Cespedes also was playing for Team Cuba in the World Baseball Classic. And so this was, I guess, the beginning of normalizing relations with players who had defected from the country, or at the very least, players who were not hostile towards the Cuban government and wanted to wear their country's jersey at the World Baseball Classic. Because... For players like Yuli Gurriel and players like Randy Rosarena, I mean, he got Mexican citizenship to play in the World Baseball Classic, but for players like Yuli Gurriel, they they are people of no country. To have to leave your home country behind and become a traitor of the state— is to have no country. And unfortunately, the United States no longer welcomes people from Cuba with open arms into the country. There is immigration processes. They don't grant citizenship to people of the country. A lot of people go to Mexico now because of the way that United States immigration laws work. It's a really sad situation that we do not welcome people from a military dictatorship as people of our country. And Randy Rosarena and Yuli Gurriel are bringing are players bringing to the forefront of what is happening with Cuba at the World Baseball Classic, and they're doing it while not playing for the Cuban national team, and I think that's been the most interesting storyline thus far through the World Baseball Classic. It has been the geopolitics of Cuba coming to the forefront, and Randy Rosarena leading Mexico on this incredible run, because in... in In addition to Randy Rosarena being a voice of, you know, dissent and uh, Patria y Vida, which is the the motto of uh, people trying to free Cuba, being a, a voice for Patria y Vida movement in Cuba, he's also the representative face of Mexico and... Randy Rosarena being the player who is leading Mexico on their deepest run through the World Baseball Classic ever, a country that is deeply ingrained in baseball and has not had a run like this in an international tournament, soccer or baseball. Because remember, Team Mexico has lost in the round of 16 at like the last seven World Cups. Team Mexico is on this deep run that is also incredibly interesting to watch because Team Mexico has been one of these teams at the forefront of intrigue around the World Cup or I'm sorry around the World Baseball Classic and for Randy Rosarena to be the face of that team I think is an incredibly perfect embodiment of the geopolitical aspects of this World Baseball Classic and also a rising star in Major League Baseball. That gets to be a voice not just for a country that welcomed him and helped support him in his journey to becoming a Major League Baseball star, also using the platform he now has to push back against the oppressive regime of his former home country, of which he is now a traitor. And I think that's an incredibly great storyline to follow for both the Mexico team and for Randy Rosarena. And Mexico is about to play in the semifinal against Japan. Uh, There's only two other stories that I really wanted to touch on here, so I'll go through them very quickly, because I think the geopolitics of Cuba and Mexico and Randy Rosarena have been the story of the tournament. Uh, Japan has been really interesting because Shohei Otani has become a global star through this tournament. He was already a star in Japan. Uh, Shohei Otani has... There's countless stories about how Shohei Fever is similar to Ichiro Fever in Japan, where... Shohei Otani can't really go anywhere in Japan without being recognized and he is this incredibly famous LeBron James type figure in Japan. I don't know if that's the greatest comparison but he is this LeBron James type of figure in Japan and Shohei Otani has gone from being this type of sensation in Japan and somewhat of a sensation in America for people who really love baseball to now being a global sensation. There are data points to talk about. Shohei Otani has doubled his Instagram and, uh, I believe, TikTok. I'm going to say Instagram first. Doubled his Instagram following since the beginning of the World Baseball Classic. Jared Carabas, who, you know, he does a lot of baseball stuff, and he's a Boston guy. He's uh, with DraftKings now. He put out that videos of Shohei Otani hitting home runs at the World Baseball Classic have done bigger views than last outs of the World Series by like quadruple the numbers. And again, this is weeks and weeks and weeks after the videos came out, as compared to months and months and months after World Series videos have come out. Like, Shohei Otani at the World Baseball Classic has become a global phenomenon because of how much he's dominating for Japan and the fact that all of these games are on TV in all of these different countries. And Shohei Otani has become a sensation. Japan played their regional games at home, which made for crazy atmospheres. And Shohei Otani has become a phenomenon globally. And if he makes it to the championship and plays against Team USA on Tuesday, which is today by the time this podcast is coming out, it's going to be an incredibly fun and interesting storyline to follow. And Mexico versus Japan is a game that I'm so freaking excited about. And I'm going to turn off this podcast here and go watch Mexico and Japan. The game is just getting ready to start. I've got World Baseball Classic Fever. The last story I want to talk about is the United States team and how Trey Turner, who's the nine hitter on this team and an all-star and a top five MVP candidate who just got $300 million from the Philadelphia Phillies. Trey Turner's just going berserk in this World Baseball Classic. In the quarterfinal and semifinal games, Trey Turner had six at-bats in a row. And in those six at-bats, he went four for six with a go-ahead grand slam against Venezuela that ended up being the difference in the game 9-7, to a go-ahead grand slam against Venezuela, a three-run home run against Cuba in the semifinal, and in that same semifinal game, a solo home run that went 450 feet in Miami, just crushed a home run to left center field, and three home runs and six at-bats his OPS in the world baseball classic is over a thousand Trey Turner has been the MVP for team USA and he's like the eighth best player on the team because team USA has former MVP Mookie Betts former MVP Mike Trout I'm just going through the lineup top to bottom here former MVP Mookie Betts former three-time MVP Mike Trout current MVP Paul Goldschmidt former MVP runner-up Nolan Arenado, he finished top three last year in the MVP. JT Realmuto Muto and Will Smith alternating at the catcher positions because they have to do alternating catcher stuff. Kyle Tucker, who hit 30 home runs for the Houston Astros, he is the six hitter for this team. Then you get to, I'm trying to think who else I'm missing here. Oh, you've got Jeff McNeil, former batting champion. He's the 8-hitter on Team USA. Kyle Schwarber, who hit 47 home runs. He's the left fielder-slash-designated hitter, hitting 7th. So you go through Kyle Schwarber as the 7-hitter on this team, and then you get to Trey Turner, the shortstop star, who's been the best player on Team USA for the entire World Baseball Classic. It's just incredible. It's, It's incredible how stacked that Team USA team is, And it's going to be so much fun to watch them in the championship, regardless of whether they play Shohei Otani in Japan or whether we get the good rivals matchup between USA and Mexico for the World Baseball Classic Championship. Oh my God. If you get USA versus Mexico for the World Baseball Classic Championship, you could just like end it right there. Just the game to end all games. I will be watching it with the most intent interest I meet. Oh my god, it would be so good. And you would be playing it in Miami. Oh my god, it would just be amazing. Amazing to have Mexico versus USA at the World Baseball Classic Championship. It would just be incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this journey through the Major League Baseball universe and the world baseball classic contest leave a five-star review download all of your support is always greatly appreciated and we love each and every one of you for all of your continued support and supporting all of our dreams thanks for stopping in everybody we will talk to you again tomorrow and in the meantime take it easy episode five the Dodger Empire strikes back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the force. After their incredible victory, The Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner, while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrizian, also known as El Niño. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, The Return of El Niño, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and supreme closer Lord Hater, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. Episode four. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched. Their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest. The Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and out-resourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy, the once-great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped, and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial National's mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto, is Lord Hater, the Supreme Closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire.